Texas Business Minds, a presentation of the Texas Business Journals, brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas. In this episode, San Antonio Business Journal tech reporter Jeanette Garcia invites Pathwire CEO Will Conway to reflect on his company's recent acquisition and share why he believes the San Antonio tech scene has advantages over Austin. Our guest today is Will Conway, CEO of Pathwire, a San Antonio-based tech company that was just acquired by Pegasus Corp. One, the American subsidiary of Swedish company Cinch AB, a global mobile cloud communications company. It was acquired for $1.9 billion. Major amount. Thanks for joining us today, Will. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I know, obviously successful acquisition recently. But let's start a little bit from at the beginning of your career, Will. You graduated from the University of Texas at San Antonio and eventually ended up at Rackspace. Tell us about your journey moving your way up the ranks until you became the head of Pathwire's predecessor, Mailgun. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my wife and I, we we both went to UTSA and, um, you know, we had a fantastic experience there. She was a couple years behind me. So, when I was actually uh, kind of studying for law school and looking at a completely different career path, a buddy of mine was at Rackspace, Josh Odom, and he was telling me about this thing that they were doing uh, around their their cloud division, or you know, it wasn't even named that back then. It was Moso, and it was Rackspace going to really where the market is now. Back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I had done technology sales in, in college, and for a while after. So I was happy to get on. You know, I heard they were a phenomenal company, great culture, and all of that, of course, was true. So I started as an online sales rep. There were three of us and we were selling cloud sites at $100, uh, maybe $150 a pop, and, you know, online chat almost entirely. Uh, We ended up rotating into, you know, different shifts. So each week we would do first shift, then the next week, second shift, and the next week, third shift, which... I don't recommend for anybody. And, you know, that was a really successful endeavor for Rackspace. Uh, it got the cloud division going. They made some acquisitions in Slicehost, uh, brought in some great entrepreneurs. And, you know, that division became really the future of Rackspace. So for me, a lot of this is right place, right time, background in tech and having a friend who is a developer who could you know, explain this stuff to me like I was a small child, which is very, very helpful. In a short year, we um, grew as a sales team and I had the opportunity to lead one of the online sales teams. And, you know, that really began kind of the rapid evolution in my own career. You know, at first it was just sales or online sales, and then it became contract sales. And then it became uh, building out the enterprise team and then the the specialist team. You know, there were several people from that, that early team that got an opportunity to build out whatever was next in upmarket or cross-sell. So that was a phenomenal, you know, seven years or so. And it led me to ultimately Rackspace's next big uh, strategic endeavor, which was the OpenStack business, uh, where they took their their software alongside of a couple of acquisitions and uh, open sourced it, a project that came with together with NASA and Dell and Rackspace and, you know, I think Facebook was in there in the earlier days. So just a lot of really good people 
wanting to, you know, kind of stem the the cloud wars a little bit. Uh, Amazon had entered the space at that point and was really dominating. So, you know, we were looking for something that was going to keep us ahead uh, and all of these companies banding together so that they were sharing, you know, the operating system essentially of creating clouds. It was a very, very ambitious project. And I was lucky to be a part of it in its early days. So, you know, that was another two years or so um, working with a lot of entrepreneurs and, you know, getting to see from kind of bedrock to, you know, big conference, how you uh, cater to developers and bring these different communities together. And, you know, that had been kind of the background of the Rackspace Cloud Division oh, so many years ago. So, you know, you're, you're starting to see a bit of a trend of, kind of API forward technology where it's in a, you know, very competitive space. So that was probably the craziest part of the ride. And it frankly burnt me out uh, kind of on the, the very, very big, you know, sexy markets where everybody is racing to it and nobody quite knows what it's going to look like uh, in the future. And the workloads are still kind of emerging. So and frankly, I was getting a little bit tired of kind of the big company at that point. We had lost the, or we were in the process of losing the cloud wars and we kind of all knew it. So we were looking to Rackspace being, we buy five different, you know, complementary cloud companies that would help us get to the, the next kind of serverless technology, if you will, where things are going and, and really have been now. Um, and a guy named Pat Matthews, who actually came to Rackspace through MailTrust, uh, another email company, did phenomenally well inside of Rackspace became the leader of the cloud division. He was head of M&A and I was on my way out and uh, Josh Odom emerges in the story again. And he uh, taps Pat on the uh, shoulder, tells him, you know, I wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. Uh, I was tired of kind of the big stuff. And Pat had this uh, phenomenal company that he just had Rackspace buy. It was Mailgun and, you know, it was 12 phenomenal developers an operationalist, if you will, and the COO, and uh, they were moving incredibly fast, brilliant technologists. And it was funny because he kind of had to sell me on a little bit because we had, we had just come from building clouds and email was not quite as sexy as uh, what we just come from. And I was already regretting a little bit of how I'd positioned myself in this. And um, I flew out and met uh, the founders of Mailgun, Taylor, Ev, and Sasha, and they were just phenomenal phenomenally smart. I mean, they had a an understanding of kind of developer authenticity that, you know, you had seen in pockets of Rackspace through people that had come in as entrepreneurs, you know, like Jason Seats and Slicehost and things that most teams shouldn't be able to do as quickly as and cleanly as they did, they, they were able to. And, you know, one of those basic tenets was whatever they uh, wrote, they supported themselves. And so naturally these things, I think, were written with more longevity because they were the ones that were you know woken up in the middle of the night if they went down and i just i really really liked the team i love the san francisco energy again and uh you know that's how i became i think it was senior manager of business development at mailgun i left uh, the teams that uh, we had built in the openstax space and come over to this uh, scrappy startup and it was it was great. You know, that was when Rackspace was really still fighting and scrapping to build the best possible cloud that we could. And in, you know, 
four short months, one of the founders had decided to come and really kind of join the mothership, if you will, to go and build out other cloud components. And, you know, we had gotten an investment to kind of come up to 25 people, but really shortly after that, we were frozen. So it was really, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunity because Rackspace had really wisely decided to shift strategies and go after what they felt like was really the future of that business and the return of its origins and services. But people building these products, you know, they were divested in favor of kind of the future. So we were left with a bit of an option, either kind of wait and watch and see what happens with kind of the overall Rackspace strategies or approach and and see if we could be spun out. And fortunately for us, that was exactly the strategy that Rackspace was cooking up in, I think, another room I, I've come to find out. So, you know, we were given an opportunity to go and, and really spin this business out and give it its full life. And all the while, the Mailgun team had been bringing in some of these, you know, world-class Rackspace engineers, software developers, support leaders, you know, people that had built the world's most sophisticated clouds and stacks to complement them. So we just had this like 25 really phenomenal group of technologists um, and that product continued to thrive uh, because of really its limited scope. It, it never at that point anticipated or, or really even desired to build out a front end for a marketer to use. You know, Mailgun is fundamentally an, uh, an email API where it's plugged into your application to send on behalf of you, the customer, to ensure that it's following all the proper protocols to get delivered. So that narrow focus of catering to developers almost exclusively was really the secret um, to Mailgun being able to continue to thrive and grow inside of Rackspace and you know have its opportunity. And in three years from my starting date, we were able to be successful and spend uh, Mailgun out as its own entity. Uh, it was uh, February 2017. But, you know, that meant that for years, you know, two years plus, these 25 people were, you know, really staying focused and doing extra jobs and watching out for each other and being very intentional in, in how we scaled that product. And when we left Rackspace, we were 17 million growing at 70% year over year, which was 25 people. Uh, so that was you know, that's what we call our mail gun OGs, our original gunners. And um, without those folks really staying true to the thesis and staying true to developers and, you know, using the things that we knew from mail guns, Y Combinator days to complement the things that we knew from the Rackspace days, it never would have happened. So my story is, is very, very intertwined with kind of these 25 people who decided to trust that we would go and, and do something amazing together, despite, you know, my inability to get them promotions and, you know, add people to the team, they, they all banded together and we felt like it was just too good to die. So we spun out and, you know, that was really the beginning of my CEO days and kind of the, the wild ride that we've been on that's led us to here. So then just to clarify a little bit, you did mention, of course, you started off at Melgun as a sales manager. How did you eventually, was it Pat or was it one of the other founders that eventually led you to being the director? And then, of course, ultimately, you took that and spun it out to being a CEO or how did that come about? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So I'm glad to talk about a guy named Taylor Wakefield. He was the COO of Mailgun and the general manager of Mailgun when I joined. Well, I should say three months after I joined, when Ev, this, the CEO originally, came over and moved to San Antonio and worked on other things within Rackspace. So, you know, Taylor was really the primary advocate for us for a while, but like any successful person uh, who has a curse of competence, Rackspace realized that, you know, he could manage more things. So he was asked to, to step up and uh, manage the entire San Francisco office alongside of a couple of the other acquisitions that were brought in. So that that's where his time was really going. As I was, you know, starting to see more and more opportunity, and because I was in Texas while they were in San Francisco, it became natural for me to take on more responsibilities. I took on support because they were out here, and you know, some other things. And by the time, you know, I can't remember if it was it was six months or a year had rolled around. Taylor was almost exclusively focusing on really the San Francisco office and all of these product lines, and I was focusing on male gun. So he ended up just kind of giving me the position because in his mind, I was already doing the job. I was very grateful to gain the additional responsibility. And frankly, that was around the time that we we knew we needed to spin out to have some type of future. So originally it was going to be him as CEO, me as COO. But again, curse of competence strikes again the founders were invited to go back to Y Combinator and, you know, go do the startup that they're a part of now, Teleport. It's phenomenal. And uh, Taylor comes to me and says, hey, uh, let's just have you, like, I'm, I'm going to position you as a CEO and I think you guys can still do this. We're going to go and, and kind of do our thing because that's, that's who we are fundamentally. And that was actually when we pulled Josh Odom in as you know, some of that talented technical team left, about half went with them and half stayed. We, uh, we needed to bring in a phenomenal CTO, or I should say potential CTO as, as we aspire to be our own company. And uh, Josh was really the best technologist that I've ever met and complimented by being one of the best humans I've ever met. So he was at an oil and gas startup. I. Uh, I called him up and told him, hey, we can spin this thing out, but we're probably going to have to make it more profitable because it's it's not growing quite fast enough for, for venture capital and it's not kind of the right motion. But private equity does this stuff more often. Would you come back to Rackspace, migrate this infrastructure off of software onto AWS and um, help me <laughs> build the model that will ultimately be the future of this company? Before you say anything, I just have to tell you, I think it has about a 5% chance of working. <laughs> he, he comes back, he's in his Utah, he's in Utah with his wife and uh, he comes back and, uh, you know, he says he's actually interested. And, you know, that was really the missing piece, having him come in and believing that this was something we could really do. And the technologists that followed him, you know, that was kind of the complete team. And we had this guy, you know, Igor, who had always wanted to work with us if we'd ever done something outside. So he kind of completed that that third person in the team. And it was me, Josh and Igor kind of going and building the stuff out. But yeah, it all really started with Taylor coming in and kind of positioning us in a good way, being a great steward of the, the business while I was inside of Rackspace and enabling us and then kind of giving us the blessing to go and, and do something great. So then you finally successfully spin out in 2017 with 
equity from Turn River and from ScaleWorks. How was that process? Because eventually, of course, Toma Bravo comes in and then the next year, I believe, was it 2018? They come in and they actually invest heavily within you all. How was it in that year trying to build it up to get the attention of such a global venture capital firm like Tomo Bravo? Yeah, I mean, it, it, again, our story is very much intertwined with a lot of the people here in San Antonio. You know, ScaleWorks was in the midst of forming their thing and uh, they were interested in uh, mail guns. So we had a, a pitch meeting where Dominic, uh, the founder, came down and he heard uh, what we were doing and ultimately it ended up being not right for ScaleWorks to lead because of the price tag that was coming. So Turn River ended up being the lead with ScaleWorks as the minority. And, you know, we we kind of got that that big opportunity and it was, it was crazy. Um, you know, one of the things that we did that was really important to me and I think important to kind of the Turn River model was giving equity to all of the 25 in the business when we spun out. So when we exited to Toma Bravo, uh, everybody, the support techs, you know, everybody got a very meaningful check. And that was just one of the, you know, cherries on the Sunday of all of this. But, you know, those two years that we were inside of Turn River, it was crazy, you know, because these guys are Silicon Valley, you know, operating partners who've done the job um, of like CMO or CPO or, you know, some of these, you know, really hard to find leadership type positions. And, you know, the model is, is to come alongside and really not be too opinionated on the product and the market and these things that we know really, really well, but get, you know, hyper focused on funnels. Uh, So for me being a sales guy, that was, you know, exactly the language that I understood as well. So when we you know, got to hiring and got the people that we needed into this business. And again, you know, that there were so many people at Rackspace that were interested in kind of joining this this journey. It wasn't too difficult. And, you know, we'd always been successful in hiring outside of HQ and, you know, a lot of our people still out in the San Francisco area. So, you know, it was really just about bringing in great people who could help us get to this point of scale you know, one of the people that we brought in on those early days was Nicole Jacobson, who leads all of our marketing today and, you know, started as a content manager. You know, Nick Schaefer, who uh, came over with us in the early Rackspace days, he uh, was support tech, became our first technical account manager, and now is one of our leaders of deliverability with, you know, many people working for him. So it was just this incredible rapid evolution of opportunity and chaos. But, you know, that was a lot of what we experienced in the early Rackspace days. You know, we we launched these business units and these product lines and they would hit and we would just be in this rapid scale. So, you know, for us, it was really about not getting into bad habits of, you know, over capitalizing different strategies that we hadn't proven yet. For us, we had in our DNA kind of profitable growth. So, one of the things that is kind of our was our little secret, but not so much now since <laughs> the financials are published, was we were profitable, you know, out of the gate. So Turn River actually didn't have to inject a lot of capital. It was more a bit of a float to kind of make sure we, you know, just didn't trip on our toes as we we're getting bank accounts and whatnot set up. But from there, everything that we did at Mailgun was self-funded. And to see the 
same amount of growth that a company like SendGrid had, given they took an enormous amount of capital and were ultimately very successful, that we were able to do that and, you know, keeping profitable along the way, kind of keeping close to our, our roots and building a business that's very scalable. It doesn't put the employees at jeopardy if there's substantial market risks. You know, this is how we built it. And, you know, that's been massively rewarded, obviously, by Cinch. And, you know, not just that we're growing, but that we're, we're growing with this level of profit to, to complement. We were very disciplined in how, you know, we approach these markets and staying true to the developer as the primary persona. And with that, we, we just continue to see phenomenal growth. And Turn River was, you know, a phenomenal partner. They were on the very edge of, um, you know, cross-selling initiatives and SDR when that was kind of getting off the ground uh, practices and uh, digital marketing, you know, all these things that, you know, you need to be able to understand quickly in order to complement the products that your phenomenal team is just, is building. So, you know, it was, it was crazy. It was a crazy two years. And, you know, ultimately when SendGrid got bought by Twilio, you know, the 900 pound gorilla in our space being Twi- uh, SendGrid got bought by the, like the 1800 pound monster in Twilio. We knew we had to complement this organic growth with inorganic uh, acquisitions. So uh, Turn River was a hundred million dollar fund. And at that time. And Mailgun was, you know, 50 million of that 100 million fund. So Dominic and I and the rest of the leaders, Chase and, and Josh and, and uh, Evan, those guys, we got together and we decided, you know, we needed a, a different uh, DNA in the, the boardroom. You know, we needed a company that knew about or a, an organization that knew about, you know, high scale practices, you know, complementing what you're doing with uh, acquisitions. We put ourselves out in the market and Tomo Bravo and many others came knocking. Uh, ultimately, we went with Tomo Bravo because they felt a little bit more humble in their uh, ethos, kind of similar to us being from San Antonio. And uh, we got exactly what we what we expected. We got high scale practices. You know, we understood how to go out there and get into the funnel of these companies that were uh, looking to merge or be acquired and due diligence and build multi-year theses and all this was uh, done in complement with a, a different set of OPs. You know, these are typically more CEOs, folks that have, have done that job and know what it's like to either be in a platform migration or, you know, have to beef up your security, understand bank covenants. You know, it's kind of a wide swap of um, things that you can be advised and so to have these different personalities to kind of come in to couple with our journey, we were never left without advisors or opinions. It was really to us to triage all of the, the conversations that were happening, the playbooks, you know, and what we understood to be the most important kind of authentic approach to this developer market. Uh, and as you can see, I think it came together really, really well. Pathwire CEO Will Conway joining us. In our next segment, he reveals if he ever dreamed of a $1.9 billion acquisition. When Texas Business Minds continues. This summer, Texas Mutual Insurance Company sent $330 million in dividends to policyholders across the state. 
It's our way of rewarding resilient businesses who never wavered in their commitment to working safe. More at TexasMutual.com. Continuing our conversation on Texas Business Minds, as Pathwire CEO Will Conway joins San Antonio Business Journal tech reporter Jeanette Garcia. Did you think this would happen at all when you started leading Mailgun in 2014? <laughs> Man, no way. Uh, no way. When when I started in, in Mailgun, it was really about just working with great people again. I mean, that that it was what I craved. And I shouldn't say working with great people exclusively because there were great people on teams that I left, but it was working with people that wanted to go fast and wanted to stay very, very product forward on their approach. And we're already in the process of building kind of a non-geographical focused, you know, work base or employment base. You know, these things that we felt like we're very much in the future. Some of the things that maybe we had um, not been able to move as quickly with Rackspace on. So it was really just about learning for me in the early days. It's always, for my career, I've, I've liked moving into different types of motions and different types of markets. And to be able to do all that in Rackspace was a, a huge gift. But once we saw these amazing people and we brought in our own amazing people, it really, at that point, became much more about just surviving, you know, being living, I was living in Austin at the time, um, but I lived in San Antonio for quite a while, you know, not having to go to San Francisco or you know, New York or some of these other kind of well-funded geographies in order to work on something that was staying in the bleeding edge of the tech space. You know, that became more of what this was about, you know, the learnings were just kind of the introduction into this and then realizing that this is so rare. What these people brought together in between Rackspace and Mailgun, it's so rare to be able to focus and have this market and these people that are so well suited to go and, and capture it. We just couldn't let it go. You know, we couldn't let it die. We, we had to see what the ceiling was on this because uh, the market's huge. You know, it's a 26 billion total addressable market and all of these clouds when they move over from their their hosted spaces or whatever they're coming from into you know an Amazon or a GCP you know these businesses typically block port 25 or they disincentivize the use of it meaning it you can't send email in the way that you could before so you know Syngrid and a few others were the only uh, folks in the space and we were and still are in my opinion the leader. And, you know, we were the first to the routing API that has become in everybody's stack. We were the first to coupling this with a technical account manager so you could solve all the intangibles. We were the first to take an email validation API and make it a part of the stack. So you were getting great emails before you were even sending and all of the other things that we've now built to complement that inbox placement and being able to put the email into the inbox when it's most likely to be received you know, all these things that we've built out just because these guys have, they solve problems as they see them, uh, not as the customer, you know, mentions them. Uh, just there's this obsession for, you know, being the best and most trusted email platform in the world uh, and for winning in that space. And we just, we had to see where the ceiling was. Um, so did I expect it to be this? Absolutely not. Did I think it could? I did. I mean, I'd be lying if I'd say, 
you know, Josh and I and some of the others early on didn't see this massive opportunity that SendGrid was already going and capturing. I never imagined we would do it in this short amount of time. I never imagined in less than five years we would be, you know, nearly valued at $2 billion and leading uh, the CPAS race. So I'm mostly just, I would say, trust product led, go to market oriented companies that cater to developers and these technical personas that are building the future of technology because and work with phenomenal people because that is ultimately what got us here wanting to be the best and wanting to work with the best for sure and then mail again since its beginning like you said it was very developer forward and serving developers and i know that recently i sat down with you and your new boss oscar werner the ceo of cinch and he mentioned that of course cinch is all through the CPaaS communications platform. So they added you all for email APIs, but they already have text, voice, video, verification, everything. And he mentioned that you would be in charge of developing that pipeline of software developers across all of those platforms. What challenges do you foresee moving forward, particularly when it comes to hiring talent? Yeah, great question. So I, I mean, hiring talent specifically, it you have to go to a, a geographically dispersed policy at this point. If you want to get the best people in the world, you got to let them work wherever they want to work, which means if they want to work in an office in Austin or San Antonio or Paris or London, they can do that. If they want to work from home, they can do that. If they want to work in a mixture of those two, they can do that. You know, the key is to just find great people, enable them, make sure that you're being intentional about bringing folks back together and regularly and allowing them to collaborate and build those relationships and stuff like that. You know, there is no substitute for just in-person conversation, but in our normal workday, you know, when we're, we're in this grind, put them in the place where they're in their best possible headspace and get out of their way, you know, set a North star and get out of their way and let them go do what great people do. And that's, that's what we're going to do in this thesis that we have across the broader, the broader sense. The fantastic foundation that we have is that just like Mailgun, these core product sets are the best in the world. They're the absolute best in the world. And they have been catered to the enterprise, which is what Cinch is, uh, and what it's, it's, uh, you know, DNA really is at the end of the day. And I think that that's not bad at all. What our charge is and what we're really excited to go and do is, you know, number one, lose no ground and, and continue to be the number one email platform in the world. And we'll do that. And nothing will kind of take our eyes off that ball. And as a part of that ethos, it's really going and looking at what are these products already amazing at? that isn't well understood, well documented, well presented for the developer. You know, how do we get these things into a place where developers feel very comfortable moving from messaging type to messaging type and saying the similarities cross platform and the key points of difference? How do you take these components and build the most competitive application or communication stack uh, that you possibly can? How do you, you know, take aspects and elements of these components and solve for, you know, low cost good enough so that you can really put a higher emphasis on, you know, some of the higher costs, but higher points of ROI. 
it's just really unpacking the, all the different capabilities for uh, the developer or the technical persona to go and, and service, you know, whatever their company's North Star is. For us, this means, you know, taking aspects of stacks and open sourcing them so that the way that we're scaling is, is available to other people. It's getting into the community and having opinions and, you know, proposing and being first in thought leadership. It's really just taking what we've already kind of built and compiled and making it better understood, better available and bringing the developer in to represent themselves and, you know, ask what they would want or anticipate or more specifically don't want the future development of, you know, Mailgun and Pathwire and of course the broader sense. So a lot of this is just focus, you know, making sure that you're staying focused on this and it's being advocated for first and foremost. And that cinch is asking us to do that. In fact, you know, telling us that is the primary aspect of this thesis. You know, that is what we have been doing our entire careers. Our entire careers, we have been um, solving problems for developers in the way that they prefer. So I, you know, their enterprise orientation, our developer orientation, their strong international market ability to own these components, you know, our ability to go quickly into markets and, and service them in the way that they like, regardless of where they're coming to us in their life cycle, be it startup or at the highest points of scale. The thing that Oscar and I, I think, fundamentally agree on and why I'm excited about this next chapter, a CPAS is only as potent as the components that make it up. And since we have the number one or number two components listed all across our CPAS, almost by default, that makes us one of the number one CPASs in the world. We just need to make sure that developers everywhere love interacting with this platform and it'll be a fun charge. For sure. And then of course, you're based here in San Antonio. This deal itself, the acquisition itself, $1.9 billion was one of the largest tech deals that we've ever had within our city. But what are some things that you think San Antonio's tech industry needs to do to better compete with places like Austin, Silicon Valley, and Seattle in order to attract and retain tech talent? I mean, keep playing into its own ethos, I would say. There is something phenomenally inspiring about San Antonio. It, it is the origin of cowboy culture, which is basically the entire identity for a lot of Texas and other things. You know, it has the most diverse populace of maybe second only to Houston. And I'm not even sure if that's true of, you know, the Texas cities here. We, this, this is where a lot of, you know, frontier mentality you know, got its jumping off point. And I think that that ethos, that identity, you know, that authenticity is something that we should really be mining and using as a point of inspiration, you know, for these future technical founders and entrepreneurs to see, you know, look what's come before you now. This is this is your turn. This is your industry. This is this is your opportunity to kind of make this let's just call it, uh, if not thriving, but absolutely a relevant place for um, the people who love this, you know, this place. So I think that Austin has benefited from its own, you know, kind of cornucopia of personalities, you know, really capturing the progressive spirit of, of Texas. You know, San Antonio is really that origin story. It's, it's where we all started. 
And I think that that is inspiring. And I think that's something that we can, we can absolutely uh, attract a number of different people who are looking to have more balance in their life. They're looking to have something that is as bleeding edge as what you've seen in Melbourne Pathwire, but the hill country is, is right around the corner and your, your mortgage goes a lot further here. I think continuing to invest in downtown like we're doing and um, have this place be a, a thriving community with a thriving nightlife where we're investing in the arts and culture. And, you know, again, we're, we're looking to inspire the people here to go and create amazing things. That's what it was for me. And, you know, it wasn't advertised maybe that way, but that's, that's what we found um, being here so long. And I think it can be that for a lot of people. And now to go full circle, on a personal level, what are some of your future goals? Man, my future goals haven't changed. You know, we we started this as a as a stewardship thesis. You know, I'm I am not a founder of Mailgun. I'm not a obviously a founder of I'm not a founder of anything. Uh, ultimately, I'm in a lot of ways I'm a I'm an organizer and really a sales guy. I, I go and I find the best possible product with the best possible people building it and take it to the market where, you know, those solutions are very much needed. Um, so for me, it's it's that same thing, you know, whether it's a CEO title or a president or a GM or whatever, my title is ultimately steward and I'll continue to do that. I'm excited for the next undefined amount of time going out and, and building the next great company and having that be you know strongly planted here in San Antonio, I couldn't ask for anything better. So yeah, it's, it's just continued to advocate for our people and for developers and you know all the things that San Antonio and Texas, all the things that we love. Uh, as long as I'm able to do that, I'm very, very happy. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners across the state that we haven't discussed yet? Hmm. Maybe for all those people who are stuck inside of a, like a managerial, middle-level managerial role and not really seeing the path to, you know, VP or SVP and all that other stuff. To those people, I would say, (laughs) you know, don't look so far for the entrepreneurial opportunities that are going to take you where you want to go. A lot of great departments inside of large organizations, I think they would make phenomenal companies. And some of the people that have built those products and those teams and, you know, created uh, their own almost microcosm of culture, uh, I think, you know, hopefully what we did is a little bit of an act of inspiration. I think if you're if you're inside an asset and you're not a core aspect of their strategy, you know, don't be afraid to go and, and talk to your leadership and see if there's other things you can do. You know, if you get their permission, don't be afraid to go out and talk to you know investors in the community, um, even if you don't know anything about it. I would say if it's worth it, if the product is worth it and the people are worth it, then you got to it's your obligation, especially if you're leading it to go out there and advocate for it. So, you know, entrepreneurialism comes in all shapes and sizes. It doesn't always have to happen with four guys in a garage or four people in a garage. You know, it can it can look different. So stay creative and, you know, just find the best possible products you can and support them. 
thanks to Pathwire CEO Will Conway for joining us. And thank you for downloading Texas Business Minds, presented by the Texas Business Journals and brought to you by Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping companies build a stronger, safer Texas.